humanly speaking, the second half of the book of Acts is dominated by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Barry introduced him a couple of weeks ago when we looked at his conversion on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And today I want to do, try and do three things. Firstly, to give an overview of Paul and his journeys. Uh, secondly, just to pause briefly at one stop on those journeys. And then finally, to draw some lessons for our own spiritual journeys. Now, I said humanly speaking just now, but please remember that a key thing about the book of Acts is that it is not primarily the Acts of the Apostles, Paul, Peter, anyone else. It's not primarily about you and me. It is about God and what he is doing. So let us pause as we begin and let's ask God to reveal himself through his holy word. We've already prayed it through that song, but let's just say it now in the quietness too. God, as we open your holy word now, as we reflect on it, as we think about how it might apply to our lives, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will open our hearts, you will change our lives, you will lift our human spirits to you and help us to hear you and to respond to you for the praise and glory of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So let us begin with Paul's journeys. Oh done two at once. There we are. Now, um, you may have a Bible. Hopefully, you've got a Bible with you. Uh, if you don't, when you go home and you open your Bible, you might well find that there are some maps at the back. You probably don't often look at the maps, but if you look at them, you'll find almost certainly you will have a map a bit like the one on the screen now, showing Paul's journeys around the Mediterranean, often called his missionary journeys. And there were three main journeys, uh, and then a final journey to Jerusalem, and then on to Rome. And we're not going to look in detail at them today, but they're traced for us in the book of Acts. I like these maps because they remind us um, that reading Acts is not like Lord of the Rings. This is not an imaginary world. This was the real world, the same world in which we live. These are places which we can still visit today, and you may well have visited them yourself. But I want to highlight this morning three general points about these journeys. The first one is that, in a sense, Paul's whole life was a journey. I think that the way Acts presents Paul as being seemingly on a constant journey is something we're intended to reflect upon as we read. In fact, a major theme of Acts is that the church as a whole is on a journey. In obedience to Jesus' command, the church goes out, begins in Jerusalem, goes to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. This is not actually just about Paul on a journey but the church on a journey as it seeks to keep up with the Holy Spirit. As it sometimes, like, Acts, it, like Paul in Acts 16, finds that the Spirit blocks off one path or an intended or an obvious route and leads into new territories. 
You remember, don't you, that on, on Paul's secondary, second missionary journey, he's been going around, for the second time, he's been going around what we would today call Turkey. And the Holy Spirit stops him going from one place into one place. And then in the night, he, he sees a vision of a man from Macedonia, northern Greece, saying, come over, come over to Greece and help us. And as a result, Paul begins his mission, firstly in Macedonia, in northern Greece, and then he goes down to Athens and Corinth. Of course, Paul was not always physically on the move. Sometimes he'd stop, he'd spend months, perhaps even years in a particular place teaching, writing letters to the churches he'd visited, which we find in our Bibles. But the general sense is of movement. The church, like Paul, the church like Jesus in the Gospels, is on the move. Perhaps not always physically on the move, but at least spiritually we're not intended to be static. Being static is, is, in a sense, dangerous in the spiritual life. I'm not saying there are obviously times to be still and know that God is God, but, but we're supposed to be growing and developing in our knowledge of him as God. Paul's life was a journey, and we are to reflect upon our own lives being a journey, a progress, a movement forward. Secondly, Paul's journey was not smooth. There were practical and physical difficulties. He had shipwrecks, for example, but he also faced significant opposition. In fact, virtually everywhere that Acts records him stopping, he faces some kind of opposition. Sometimes he's put in prison, sometimes he's beaten, sometimes he's even stoned, sometimes he has to be smuggled out of town for his own safety, sometimes he has to switch locations, he's laughed at, he's harassed both by the Jewish authorities and by pagan groups. It's hard going and yet the church is established and it seems from his letters that some of the places where he's treated worst ended up hosting some of the most vibrant churches Sometimes the roughest times are the most fruitful times. The Christian life, the Christian walk, the Christian journey is not smooth. Not if we're walking it faithfully. Often it's the people like Paul who are most faithful, who are most committed, who seem to have the roughest time. But through whom in the long run? the Spirit is able to work most effectively. Paul's journey was not smooth. And hopefully you're beginning to think of some implications for our lives. And perhaps you're thinking of some of your own experiences. We'll come back to that. But thirdly, just for now, Paul's journey wasn't a solitary journey. He didn't journey alone. He has a bit of a reputation, doesn't he, the Apostle Paul, as an alpha male a lone wolf, who did his own thing and perhaps didn't cope so well with being told what to do by others. And there is more than a grain of truth in some of those thoughts, but I don't think it's the whole truth. And I think that Acts presents Paul in a more nuanced way. He was sent by his home church in Antioch. He was sent out in obedience you read, we read it at the beginning of Acts 13. And he reported back to them at the end of his first missionary journey. And then he goes to the apostles in Jerusalem and he submits himself to them, although he certainly had some uh, direct um, words with them as well. 
but he recognized their authority. He was accompanied at different times on his journeys, always accompanied by somebody. Barnabas, firstly, and then Silas and others. Probably Luke as well, Luke the one who wrote Acts for us, who in certain places during Paul's journeys switches from saying, they did such and such, to saying, we did such and such. Luke was one of his companions. And as disciples of Jesus, we're supposed to be on this journey together. We're supposed to make ourselves vulnerable and accountable to one another. As Baptists, perhaps a bit like Paul, we're not big on authority. We're not big on being told what to do by anyone else and hierarchy and all that kind of stuff. And and, and as Baptists, we think that's right. But we have to be careful because Baptists have always emphasized the importance of community and accountability and living in covenant relationship with one another. Who are you accountable to, spiritually speaking? And if you just say, God, well, that's great, but that can often be a cop-out because it means no one can ever tell you anything because you can always say, well, God, I'm doing what God says. And of course we want to do what God says, but as, as we've heard already, we hear from God in different ways. And as Baptists, we believe we hear from God and we discern the mind of Christ by listening to one another. As minister here, I'm accountable to you all, and that can be a cop-out too. Which is why, actually, I make myself accountable. Two of the deacons each year give me an annual review, and they get feedback. And once a year, I talk to another Baptist minister and make myself accountable. Accountability is good, but we might find it uncomfortable. And perhaps that's why it's good. So if you're inclined to be a bit like what you might think of Paul is like, be challenged, because actually, I'm not sure he was. He was accountable. He lived and worked and ministered in community. And I invite you to think about your spiritual life and your accountability to others. Again, we'll come back to that. But let us stop briefly at one place on Paul's journey. Oh, having trouble with my clicker. So we're going to stop at Corinth. And if you have a Bible, please open it at Acts chapter 18. We're doing this series on Acts is sort of thematic, so I'm, I'm trying to give big pictures rather than necessarily always homing, down on one, homing in on one text. But I am going to home in on Acts chapter 18 now, where, as I said, um, this is on. Paul was, Paul was called over into Greece by this, this man from Macedonia, this vision he had in the night. He starts off in the north, Philippi and, and Thessalonica and so on, and then he journeys south down to Athens and Corinth down towards the south end of Greece. And he ministers for a while in Corinth on his second ministry journey, missionary journey. Uh, He plants a church there, um, and he he will write two, well, he will write probably several letters to this church in Corinth. Two of them we have in our New Testaments. But if you read them, the implication are that there's other letters that we don't have that haven't been preserved. It's a church which thrived, but which also caused Paul some heartache. And if you're in any doubt about that, read his two letters in the New Testament. But I just want to highlight very, very briefly some aspects of his stay in Corinth, which I think will reinforce some of the messages we've just seen. 
So firstly, um, here's uh, the first five verses of Acts chapter 18. And we read these words. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who'd recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, and we'll carry on in a minute. But what do you notice about those verses? I've made it easy for you. He's got people with him. He's he's working in community. He's not by himself. He's not a lone wolf. He delights in having fellowship and drawing people in and actually to discipling people up as part of his ministry. His journey was not a lone journey. Right, here's a longer chunk, and I'm just going to read the yellow bits for now. Uh, By the time we've gone through all my points, we'll have read all the the verses on the screen. So this is uh, the next part of... um, Acts chapter 18. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And then skipping on, his entire household believed, this is um, justice in the the synagogue, uh, his entire household believed in the Lord. And the the word Lord is interesting in Acts um, because uh, it has lots of connotations, but it seems to be here and in many other places clearly referring to the Lord Jesus. But remember in those days, when you were particularly in the Roman world, the Lord was supposed to be Caesar. So saying Lord was, a, was a, a revolutionary thing to say. But also Lord was the word that Jews used when they were talking about God. It was the, 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 the translation um, if they were speaking in Greek. So this word is a very loaded word. And Paul often uses it, though, to talk about Jesus. His entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Just don't forget the baptism service on the 5th of December. And um, it's great that we have people who've come forward for baptism. Could God be talking to you about that? And then finally, Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. The point I'm just trying to make through these highlighted verses is that Paul is doing what we probably expect Paul to do. He is talking about Jesus. But remember the journey he's come on. Remember that not long before, he hated Christians. He thought you shouldn't be talking about Jesus at all. He thought this this was a movement that needed to be stamped out. This was an amazing journey that Paul had come on and was desperate for others to get on as well. But... But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your heads, I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, the worshiper of God. And then at the end there, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. Was it a smooth journey? No, those words remind us that the spiritual journey is not smooth, and it was not smooth for Paul. But he's not alone. We've seen that he's not alone in terms of other people with him, but he's not alone in another sense as well. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. 
Isn't that, wouldn't, wouldn't that have been an amazing encouragement for Paul? And it's an encouragement for us as God speaks those same words as they echo down the centuries to us when life is not smooth. I am with you. And don't forget, there are others around you. You are not alone. Finally, the words I've missed, you might think aren't very exciting, but I'm going to mention them because there's a bit of a sort of fun fact here. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, now if you're a historian, these are your favourite verses in the book of Acts. Why are they your favourite verses? Because Gallio was only proconsul of Achaia for two years. And therefore, this gives us an, an absolute fix on the dating of this incident, one of the very few places in the New Testament where we have an absolute independent fix on the dating. We know this must have happened in either 51 or 52 AD, um, which is really exciting if you're a historian, but maybe not if you're not, but I mention it anyway. But I just want to go back a moment to that couple we met um, in the first five verses. Where, where, where are they? There we are. Uh, we, met, we, we read that, that there Paul met a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And I just want to, to, to say something about Priscilla um, and Aquila. And um, let's go back through. There they are. That's definitely what they look like. Um, maybe not. But I want to come back to you then because they were introduced to us, as I say, and then they crop up again. So when we read them just now, which order were they in? The husband was first, and that was, that's the conventional way of introducing somebody, uh, even in our day, until perhaps until quite recently, um, if you were talking about a, 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 a couple, a man and wife, you would typically introduce the husband first. But what's very interesting, if you have your Bible, it's not going to come on the screen, but if you have your Bible, look down the chapter, and when they're next mentioned in verses 18, and then again in verse 19, who is mentioned first? Priscilla is mentioned first. And note how in verse 26, when she's also mentioned first, they are teaching together somebody else, someone called Apollos, who was um, someone who was, uh, had a, a significant ministry in this church in Corinth. Uh, and how, as they instructed him, as they instructed Apollos, the implication is that Priscilla took the lead in that. The implication is that Priscilla took the lead in their ministry. And the reason I mention this is that I think we see in the New Testament that Paul and the church were on a journey in more than one sense. There are times, for example, when we read the New Testament, we read what Paul writes, and he seems to have a more traditional a more pharisaical attitude to the role of women. He was steeped in his own religious traditions and in the, the um, understanding of society of the time. But there are other times, like here in Acts chapter 18, where he seems to... Well, I think he's responding to the facts on the ground. I think he's responding to the fact that there were some very uh, capable women in the early church. And I think he's also responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit into a more open, inclusive, affirming approach to the role of women. This was certainly a live issue in the early church. It lived in a very patriarchal society, and it was wrestling with that. 
Paul writes elsewhere that just as there is no slave and free in the kingdom of God, as there is no Jew and Greek, so there is no male and female. But this seems to be, in his mind, still work in progress, in a sense. He's still, he's still wrestling with it. He's still working this out. And we have the privilege of seeing that as we read the pages of Scripture. I think there is good evidence of a, of a trajectory, of a journey within the behavior of Paul and more generally towards recognizing the role of women in the church, even perhaps if they didn't quite get there fully by the time the New Testament, um, the documents we have in the New Testament were written. See, for example, the, the final chapter of Romans. Read it when you get home. You might think, well, it's not a very interesting chapter. It's just a list of names. But it's a very interesting list of names because prominent in that list of names are women, uh, not, including Priscilla, by the way, again mentioned first, um, but also Phoebe, the one who probably bore the letter to the church in Rome and may well have read it and explained it to them. Mary, Junia, who's described as an apostle uh, with her husband, so a number of prominent women who are placed high in that list. And so, um, particularly if you're new to this church, as some of you are, which is wonderful, um, you may have noticed that we affirm women in leading and teaching roles in this church. And we do that. We don't do it to be popular and modern. You might think, well... I like to be in a popular modern church, and, and fine, but frankly, that's not our motivation. We do it because of what we read in the New Testament. We believe that the church is on a journey, and that we are later in that journey. And if Paul had been standing here today, he would have said, yes, let's have women fulfilling their gifts and callings. So that was a bit of a, a tangent I, I went off at, but I think it's something interesting that we discover from Acts chapter 18. But I want now to come to us more personally, our journeys. How is your walk with the Lord? How is your journey of faith? I want to give some examples, and perhaps the Lord will speak to you through these. Perhaps you are someone who is yet to set off on this journey. You are here in church which we're delighted about. But perhaps you're not actually yet walking with the Lord in a personal way. And Acts and the whole Bible in encourages you to ask the question for yourself, would you like to? Would you like to walk with the Lord? Do you know that there's actually something missing, a hole which nothing you have ever tried has been able to fill? Well, Jesus is calling you He's calling you to come and walk with him. He wants to walk with you on your journey. He wants you to know him as your saviour and rescuer. He wants you to encounter him, not as a historic figure uh, in some ancient text, but as the risen Lord who we encounter when through the Holy Spirit this text comes alive in our hearts. He wants you to move out of apathy and fence-sitting into his arms, into love. He asks you to step forward today into his plans and purposes for your life. He asks you to say no to yourself and yes to him. And the question is, will you? Will you? 
Or perhaps you're someone who has hit a barrier on your path. You have been walking with the Lord, or perhaps you have walked past tense with the Lord, but you've hit a block. Perhaps you've even wandered off course. Perhaps you're getting near some rocks and are in danger of shipwreck. Well, Jesus does not want you to stop here. He wants you to move on with him. Perhaps there's something you've done. Perhaps there's something that's been done to you. Perhaps there's a decision you've made. Or perhaps it's a sense of of worthlessness which you feel. Perhaps it's something else, but perhaps there's something which makes you think that Jesus no longer wants to walk with you. But that is not true. Jesus loves and desires more than anything else to walk with sinful, humble people. So the question, if you identify with that description, is, is there a step you need to take, which you're scared to take, but which you need to take? Is there something you need to repent of? Is there something you've been doing, a relationship you've been fostering, a habit you've been pursuing, which you need to say no to, to repent of? Something you know you need to do. Maybe the thing you need to to give up and repent of is the effort to do it all yourself, to make yourself acceptable to God or to other people. Whatever it is, whatever it is that has brought you to a halt, do something about it. Say yes to Jesus and let him take your burdens upon himself because that is what he is longing to do. He is waiting for your prayer. Or perhaps you are someone who has been walking with Jesus for years, perhaps even decades. But you're drifting. You know you are. You're slowing down, and I don't mean physically. You haven't deliberately said no. You haven't deliberately walked away. But you know you've drifted. Perhaps you've seen others walking on ahead and you're feeling that you're getting left behind. Perhaps it's been spiritual death by a thousand cuts. Those little disappointments or resentments or failings have accumulated. And now, if you're honest, you know you're not really walking with the Lord as you and he would like. You've grown lukewarm, if not cold. If so, Jesus invites you to turn your face towards him. To make yourself, yes, vulnerable. To ask for his help. But also, as part of making yourself vulnerable, and part of making this real, to talk to somebody else who can pray with you, even if that's really the last thing you want to do. But actually, it's the thing you need to do. I don't know, do we still have the people with the red lanyards who who are in the prayer team? Yes, you haven't got your red lanyard on, but um, 
you have it here. Well, maybe the people with their red lanyards can put them on. We do have a prayer team. It went into abeyance a bit with COVID and all that blah, blah. But um, perhaps you could put your, your lanyards back on. And if you need someone to pray with these people, you can pray with anyone um, who you know here. But there are some people who are really feel called into a ministry of being at, thank you. So Stephen's got one. If you're not sure of who to talk to, here's a man with a lanyard. Yeah, who's, who's, who should have a lanyard but has forgotten one? So there's John Batchelor. David, hopefully some women as well, given what I've just said. Yes, thank you, Margaret. So talk to someone with or without a lanyard this morning and make yourself vulnerable to them. Ask them to pray with you. Fourthly, these are just examples, but perhaps you're someone who is finding the road hard. It's not smooth, is it? Perhaps you're feeling discouraged and tempted to stop walking or to turn onto an easier looking road or to go it alone. And I wish I could tell you that everything was about to get smoother, but that wouldn't be honest. Neither would it be honest to tell you that there are some better roads somewhere else that you can find. In the end, all those smooth looking roads lead to disappointment and ruin. What I can tell you is you are not alone. Many saints, many here have walked this bumpy road, this pathway of faith before you. Some like like John Bunyan, the pilgrim's progress, the pilgrim's journey, have written about it. Paul walked this road before you. But most importantly of all, Jesus has walked the road of pain and suffering and he longs to walk with you. He longs for you to enjoy closer intimacy with him. He longs to carry you when you feel exhausted. He longs to lead you by hand across the final river. And he longs to welcome you into his heavenly presence. After all, he did say these words on the screen. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the good news is that when we walk with Jesus, we have him by our side, but we're also on our way to a place where he will be our side, by our side in a more... In a more tangible way when all his promises and all the, all our longings will be fulfilled when we meet him face to face as we stand in the presence of Christ himself so i'm going to invite us to spend a time of quiet now i invite you to to reflect on those words on the screen and also to reflect on on whether you identify with any of those um, people that I mentioned just now, whether, you, you, whether there's something you need to do to walk more closely with the Lord and whether he might be calling you to take a step today as he says to you, come to me. So let's be quiet, let's pause, let's talk to God ourselves, but don't forget what I said about the red lanyards. Or about somebody else. It could be somebody in your household. It could be somebody you want to make an appointment with during this coming week. To talk to them about where you are spiritually. About the help that you need.
Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Lord God, we say to you this morning, we want to walk with you. We thank you so much that you want to walk with us. Help us, we pray. And help those of us who know in our hearts that we need to take a specific step. Give us the courage by your spirit to take that step today and in the weeks and days ahead. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing now that hymn that I've just um, referred to. Good old traditional hymn.